your time at living in the kingdom. We talked about the kingdom all through Christmas. And now we're going to talk about living in the kingdom. And we've done that through the last several weeks. Um, If you have a Bible, I hope you'll you'll use it. Turn to the book of Ephesians. Um, If you don't have one, there's some in the the pews. Uh, Run run one down. Because I want us to, to look at some of the things that the Apostle Paul tells us when he talks about the church, both in the mind of God and the church working its way out into the world. Um, I want to read beginning with Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 7. I'm just going to read three verses here. And then after that we'll kind of go through, keep keep Ephesians open. Because we're going to keep going through there, okay? And look at some of the other things that he said. In Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 7, Paul says, In order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of His grace. God wants to show us. He wants to show the nations. He wants to show the peoples the incomparable riches of His grace expressed in His kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it's by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God not by works, so that no one can boast. So as as we thought about this book of Ephesians and the outline of Ephesians, the church in the mind of God, and then the church living that faith out in the world, those are the things that, that we've been thinking about. You know, God had from the very beginning of time, when He created the world, He had in His mind what the church was going to be, what He wanted the church to be. And when I talk about the church, I'm talking about the saints, okay? Not, the, not a denomination, not an institution, but he's talking about those who come to know Christ as Lord and Savior, and they're the people of God. And so, so he had in mind, and then when Jesus came, Jesus says, you know, to, to Peter, he says, and upon this rock I will build my church. And so he begins to build his church. The church is only 2,000 years old. History is however long it's been, but the church history is 2,000 years old. And so God's wonderful plan from the very beginning was to create a church, a people who would be His glory, who would fellowship with Him, who would walk with Him, who would dwell with Him in all of eternity. God wants you to live in eternity with him. He wants you to be there forever. You know, he didn't have to make us. He didn't have to create humans. He didn't have to create you. You know, you you are here because of the pleasure of God. He wants you here. He wants you on earth. God God looked at the, at the earth and he says, "You know, earth needs one of you." You know? And so and so he made you and so so that's why you're here. But He doesn't want you just to be here. He wants you to be in eternity with Him as well. And so God created us. He created humankind in the beginning to dwell with Him on earth and then to dwell with Him in eternity. And and what happened 
is, is an ugly story. You know, and you, you know the story. You read it in Genesis beginning in, in chapter 3. Paul sums it up in the first verse of Ephesians chapter 2. Look what he says. Ephesians 2 verse 1. He says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins. God wanted you to live with Him and love Him and work with Him and worship Him forever. But you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Do you know, do you know what it means to trespass? You guys... You know, living out here, you know what a trespass is. You go by the signs all the time that say, no trespassing. We, every time we go to our house, there's one of the neighbors has a sign up that says, no trespassing. I know what that means. That means I have to look around to make sure nobody's walking, watching before I trespass and, and take a shortcut across his, uh, his property. Uh, so, you know, we want people to stay away from something. So we put up a fence and we say, no trespassing. And basically that's what God did in creation. He, he put up a, a fence, not a, not a literal fence, but He put up a, a, a barrier around the tree of life. The tree of good and evil, I'm sorry. And He said, no trespassing. Stay away from this tree. The Lord God commanded the man saying, from any tree of the garden you may eat, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat from it you shall surely die. And so he put a fence up around the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And then in chapter 3, you know, you guys know this story. In chapter 3, when the serpent tempts Adam and Eve to trespass, here's what he says. Listen, listen to his argument. He says, for God knows that in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So there was a trespass. You would trespass into, the, uh, in, into this experience with God that, that is, is not right. You would, you would trespass from that. And then he says your trespasses and sins. Sin is a word that that simply means to fall short. It means God has a, a target for you and you've missed it. You've fallen short of, of the target. You're, you're, and then he says, since we trespassed and since we sinned, we're, we're dead. You remember how Paul said that in Romans? For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so, so what, what happened very basically is that we, we weren't able to be the glory of God like He wanted us to be. And then here was His plan. And, and He gave us this plan you know, before the foundation of the world. You have your Bibles and you're, you're looking at Ephesians. Look at chapter 1 and verse 5. Chapter 1 and verse 5. Here's what he said. He predestined us. In other words, but before you were ever around, he predestined you to adoption as sons and daughters through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, 
which He freely bestowed on us in the Beloved. He intended to reach beyond our trespass and beyond our sin and bring us to Himself. Paul says it was the kind intention of His will. What does it mean, kind intention of His will? You know what it means to be kind? You know what it means to intend to do something? Okay, so God intended to be kind to you because that's what He chose to do. Um, He intended to bring us to Himself. Then look at chapter 1, verse 14. He says, He has given us a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of His own possession to the praise of His glory. And so Paul, Paul is describing here in the first chapter of Ephesians what salvation is going to be, how, how he's going to, to describe that salvation. And he says, God was thinking about redeeming us. Redemption. Redemption means to buy something back. I read a story one time about a, a boy who... Um, with the help of his dad, built a sailing boat, you know, just a, a small toy sailing boat. And they worked on it, and it was really a, a work of art. It, it, was a, it was an amazing thing. And uh, he began to, he began to go down to the lake and sail his boat. And uh, one day the wind caught it and blew it further out than he could reach. And, and he just stood there and watched as his boat went out into the lake and he lost it. And he spent days looking for it. He'd go up down to the lake and he'd walk up and down the banks looking for the boat. And, you know, he was just heartbroken. He had lost his boat. He couldn't find it. One day, he was walking in the street and he saw a second-hand store. And there in the window of the second-hand store was his boat. And uh, he went in and he told the guy, that's my boat. And he says, no, it's not your boat. It's my boat. I bought it. I bought it from a fisherman who found it while he was out on the lake. And, and the boy says, but it's my boat. And the guy says, well, you bring me the price. You can have your boat. So the boy, little boy went out. And it says, the story said that he worked and worked in order to get the money to buy the boat back. I suspect he went and asked his mom and dad. But anyway, however it works, he, he got the money. He went back. And he bought the boat. And when he walked out, and this is the way the story ends, when he walks out, he he looks at the boat, and he says, now you are twice mine, because I built you, and then I bought you back. That's what God did for us. He made us, and then he bought us back. That's what redeemed means. He brought us back to the praise of His glory. And then uh, verse 18 in chapter 1 says, I pray, Paul is praying for you and me. He says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know what is the hope of His calling, what are the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints. Paul says, I I just pray that you would realize what you've got. That you would realize what you have. What what belongs to you now. What God has given to you. 
And then in chapter 2, verse 7, where we started this morning, he says, In order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Folks, that was God's plan. His plan was to buy us back so that we could see his glorious grace, his, his kindness, the kind intention of his will. And, and, and I'm afraid sometimes we, we church people have made, made it, we, we, we backed it up a little bit and we've changed the goal of what God has done. You know, God didn't save you to make you a good person. God saved you to show you He was a good God. That was the purpose of it. To show you His heart. And then His method was grace. He says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And that's a gift of God. You know, there, 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 there's been a whole... Since creation, there's been this idea that every individual should work and behave himself and be good, and then at the end, God is going to reward us with salvation. Somehow or another, the things that you do that are good are going to be enough to get you salvation. I was, I was reading, uh, I, I was reading an interview in a magazine. Uh, ben Shapiro is a conservative political commentator, columnist, and author, radio talk show host, and a lawyer. And he's Jewish. And he's doing this interview with this magazine. And the magazine asks him, it's a Christian magazine, but the magazine asks him why he believes in Judaism rather than Christianity. And uh, his partner, Shapiro's partner in the talk show, is a Christian, is an evangelical Christian. And, and the, the magazine was making a comparison between the two. And here's what Shapiro said. He says, It makes more sense to me that you take responsibility for your own sins as opposed to Jesus dying for your sins. In Judaism, you're constantly atoning for your own sins. I am work-based. Christianity is largely grace-based. So what he's saying is, I won't be a Christian because I want to pay for my own sins. You know, and, and there's, you know, there's a world of people who believe that, who think that, that that's the way things work. Paul says in Galatians 3, he says, a person is cursed if they cannot keep the whole law. In other words, if you can't keep every single one of the Ten Commandments and all the law all the time, every day, then, then you're cursed. If you can keep it 99% of the time and 1% you can't, what are you? You're cursed. That you, you can't keep the law. And that was the reason that we call the, the news about Christ good news. That's why it's called gospel. Because it's good news that Jesus died for our sin. And salvation doesn't be long doesn't begin with our merit. It begins in the mercy of God. Your salvation doesn't begin when you say I'm good enough or I'm going to be good enough or I'm going to try to be good enough. Your salvation begins 
in, in the grace and in the mercy of God. It begins in the heart of God. The kind intention of His will. That's where it began. If we could have been saved by being good and decent and paying for our own sins, then Jesus wouldn't have died on the cross. There would have been no reason for it. Paul said this, I do not frustrate the grace of God, for if righteousness comes from the law, then Christ is dead in vain. He said there wasn't any need for Jesus to die if we can be saved by the good things that we do. Anybody, any of you ever heard of Angel Martinez? Any of you? Miss Colleen? Angel Martinez was a, an evangelist from Miss Colleen's age. <laughs> from from back in her day. And uh I heard him preach a couple of times at the very end of his ministry. He was he you know he was really fun to listen to. But he told a story one time about his early days in the ministry. Uh and uh he was still a student, but he was pastoring a church, and this lady came to him and said, Um, I noticed that you were you don't have a suit. You're not wearing a suit. Don't you have a suit to preach in? Um, and he replied, no, ma'am, I don't have one. And she says, well, I want to always help young ministers to buy a suit. So you go down to the department store and tell them to dress you up. And then she says, but don't, don't worry. I'll pay for it. Well, he began to worry. He says, what if I go and I order a suit and... They don't know me or they don't know the lady and I have to pay for the suit and I don't have the money. So he saved up his money until he could afford to buy a pair of pants. Not a suit, just a pair of pants. And he went to the department store and he ordered a pair of pants. He tried on this pair of pants and and uh, he brought the, bought the pair of pants. He gave him the, got ready to give him the money and the lady at the grocery store, I mean at the store said no charge he says what do you mean no charge he says mrs stevenson said to give you whatever you wanted and to bill her for it (laughs) angel martinez said he says unwrap these trousers and put them back on the rack we're going shopping (laughs) and he bought three suits five pairs of shoes a dozen shirts he says, I spent $125 for clothes. This was in 1936. And I said, charge it to Mrs. Stevenson. You know, and that, that describes salvation. He goes on and says this. He says, but I think of the day when I was dressed in the rags of sin. God informed me that he would furnish me a robe of righteousness. I told the Lord that I couldn't afford a robe of righteousness. I was a poor sinner. He said, you go to the cross and get a robe of righteousness and say, charge it to Jesus. And I walked to Calvary many years ago, got the robe and charged it to Jesus. And I've never heard from that bill. He paid it all. That's, that's, our, that's our salvation. That's, that's what it means. That's where we got it. That's where it comes from. And, and, that, and that's what Paul says. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God that no one should boast. What does that mean, that no one should boast? It's a, 
It's a word in the scripture, that is, it's one word, and it's translated in other places that no one should steal his glory. In other words, God gave you salvation so that you wouldn't steal his glory. God doesn't want anybody to strut around heaven saying, look what I am, look what I've done. That's not who's there. We're there because of the glory and the grace and the mercy of God. Um, Jennifer goes to band practice on Monday nights. And I'm left at home alone, nothing to do. Um, And uh, Monday night, I watched a movie. I'd I'd seen it before. It's It's a funny movie. It's Chevy Chase, and the name of it's Funny Farm. Anybody ever seen Funny Farm? He's a he's a uh, journalist in the big city, and he quits his job and they move to the country. And he's going to write a novel. His wife is a school teacher, and the story is just funny as it can be. All the things that distract him and keep him from from writing the novel. He finally gets a couple of chapters written, and he. Reads, he gives it to his wife and she reads it and she just bursts out crying. Says, he, he says, well, what do I need to do to fix it? What, what do I need to do? Do I need to change the story? Do I need to change the story? You know, what do I need to do? And she's just bawling and she says, just burn it. You know, it's that bad. And uh, so, you know, he's really discouraged. He doesn't know what to do. He, he, he can't write anymore. He he gets a page in his typewriter and he, 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 just, he just can't go anywhere with it. And in the meantime, she's sitting downstairs on the couch with a pencil and a yellow pad and she's writing a children's story about a squirrel. And she sends it to a publisher and they buy it. And so she is a published author and he hadn't even got a manuscript yet. And so he, you know, he is really discouraged. He, not only that, she names the squirrel after him. You know, his name's Andy. She names the squirrel Andy. You know, it's, it's, it's hilarious. But uh, anyway, the publisher comes to him, his publisher. They gave him an a, um, advance when he started writing it. And his publisher comes and he says, you know, it's time for you to turn something in. Uh you know, we need something for the money that we've we've advanced you, and so you know he's he's panicked. He runs into his office and he looks around. And he he pulls the manuscript out that that he had given to his wife, and you know it was burned around the edges because he he had thrown it in the fire before he came to his senses and put it out. And he starts to give it to him, and then he goes over to his his uh, goes in the bedroom where his wife has kept her story. And he goes in there and he gets her story out and gives it to the guy as, as his manuscript. Well, a little while later, the guy calls on the phone and she answers. And he says, this is a great manuscript. He says, this is a great story. Uh, you know, and just, just, and she's so happy that he's finally done something. And, you know, and uh, he says, but unfortunately... We don't publish children's stories. And she says, what? A children's story? Yeah, a children's story. 
He says, what's this story about? He says, well, it's about a squirrel named Andy and his friends. And she realizes that he took her work and gave it to the publisher and claimed it for his own. And guess what? She was ticked. I mean, really upset, really angry. And, uh, you know, the, the, the rest of the thing is how they go about getting a divorce and all that kind of stuff and, and uh, how they finally make up. But she, she's furious. And, and can you blame her? But, you know, that's the exact word that's used here, that no one should steal his glory. She's, he stole her glory. He stole what belonged to her and took credit for it himself. And, and that's exactly the meaning that no one should boast. That no one should take the glory of God. God has done all this great stuff for us. And God says, I've done all of this work for your salvation. Jesus Christ went to the cross and He died for your salvation. You can't do it by yourself. Only I can, and you can't take my glory. So how do we take His glory? Well, we take it by assuming that we've done enough good works to get to heaven. That somehow my good works outweigh my bad works. And so I'm acceptable into heaven. God says, how dare you steal my story? You think anything that you've ever done in this world compares to being hung on a cross? That's what Jesus did for us. You think anything you've ever accomplished, ever, you know, think of your greatest accomplishment. Does it even compare with walking out of the grave with the resurrection? No, of course it doesn't. You think... All the abundance of good choices that you've made somehow compares to the fact that Jesus Christ never made a bad choice? That's how you steal God's glory. Or by refusing to accept God's gift. He says, you're stealing my glory. You think you don't need my gift. If you don't need it, why do you think He let Jesus die on the cross for you if you don't need His salvation? You steal His glory when you don't humble yourself and admit that you need God's gift. You, you steal His glory when you don't receive His gift as He gives it to you. God says, I wanted you to have it. I did it for you. And if you don't think you need it, you take His glory. And you know what? It makes God just as angry as it made Andy's wife. I can't remember her name. When He stole his, her glory. And then here's what he says. Here's what Paul says. This all takes place, Ephesians 1.12, to the end that we who were the first to hope in Christ should be to the praise of His glory. That was God's design for the church. That we would be the praise of His glory. In Ephesians 3.16 he says that He would grant to you according to the riches of His glory, to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in the inner person. And then in chapter 3, in verse 21, He says, To Him, to God, be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. 
In Ephesians 5, verse 27, he says, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and blameless. God's plan for us was to be his glory. That's what he wants from us. And we do it by receiving his gospel and by living, by living his his gospel to his glory and to the glory of the church, to the glory of God in the church. In Colossians, I'm going to jump out of Ephesians for a second, but you know, Colossians is a is a commentary on Ephesians. Paul says, The mystery has been hidden from past ages and generations, but has now been manifested to his saints to whom God willed to make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles or among all the nations, Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's God's plan for the church, folks. We are the glory of God to the nations. That's why missions are important. That's why evangelism is important. That's why... That's why sharing the love of God with others is important. Because it's not just for us, but for all the nations. There was an article this week in the, actually yesterday or Friday, in the Cortez Journal. The, uh, the writer, a Cortez pastor, uses the opportunity to write about how ridiculous the idea of hell is. Says God is a God of love. He wouldn't have anything to do with hell. And when we die, we just go into the presence of God and explains it this way. Some are just going to be closer to God than others. Some are going to be sitting on the front row in heaven and some are going to be sitting on the back. Sorry about you guys back there. You're just further from the presence of God. And so you don't need to worry about hell. Don't need to worry about any of that. Just do the best you can. Be good to others. And everything will be okay. And when I first read it, I got angry. No, I got mad. Mad enough to sit down and and write a letter to the editor of the paper. But I didn't do that. Because then I was just dismayed. I remember a story that a speaker told one time. And... I went back in my notes and tried to find it, and I couldn't find it, but I, but I remember the, the gist of it. The speaker, and I remember who the speaker was, but he was telling his audience, much like that article, that there is no hell. And uh, he, was, he was going on that and, and everything. And, and when he was done, this guy comes up to the speaker, and, and he says to him, I really like what you said about there being no hell. I just really hope you're right about that because I'm counting on you. Now I want to tell you something. Do you want to count on the pastor of the article in the paper or do you want to count on God and Jesus Christ? She's stealing his glory, folks. That's what she's trying to do is steal his glory. 
Because the glory of God says, Jesus Christ went to the cross and He died for you. Why? Why? Why would God go to such lengths to give us life if there wasn't death? Why would Jesus go to the cross to make a way to heaven if there's no hell? Why would God offer you salvation if you weren't already condemned? Why would God pay the ultimate price in Christ Jesus if we could just make it by ourselves? And the only difference would be our seating position in the building. Do you see how that steals His glory? That steals the glory of God. Don't steal God's glory. Don't waste your life. It's short. It's precious. And then in heaven it's eternal. Where we live because of the grace of God. Not because of anything that we've ever done. That's what God intended the message for the church to be. The grace of God. The hope of glory. For you, for me, and for the nations. Let's pray together. Father, I pray today in Jesus' name that you would just draw us to understand and receive your glory. Father, forgive us when we steal it. In Jesus' name, amen. Peter says, Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. According to his divine power, he hath given us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him that has called us to glory 
and virtue. God bless. You're dismissed.